0: Well, good morning to all of you. It's good to be here. I uh, bring you greetings um, from New York City. And uh, it's my fault I should have included this in a biography on the back. But I'm no longer at Redeemer, although I love Redeemer and I love Manhattan. But I live in that great part of the West End of Long Island called Brooklyn. And I've been there for the past year, and I've been a part of Resurrection Brooklyn Church for that year. And uh, my colleague and the pastor of uh, the church where I serve was here just last Sunday, Jameson Galt. So... Um, I, that's a tough act to follow. So I hope uh, I do well uh, being up here after Jameson has been here. I just want to say thank you um, to, particularly to the Middle calls and to the Lee family, but also to this church. For your hospitality this weekend. Uh, we, my wife and I had just gotten back uh, from Disney World maybe a few weeks ago uh, with our kids. We were, our kids are five and seven years old. And if any of you have been to Disney World, you know that's like when you come back from Disney World, it's like I survived Disney World. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just glad <laughs> to be alive. I've made it out of there safe and sound. Um, and our kids still love us. Or rather, we still love our kids. So, so that's great. Uh, but but it's good to be with you, and I uh, have appreciated um, just feeling, feeling, and sensing the work that God is doing among you, in uh, the ways that we have been blessed through that. Well, I will um, take us into our text for this morning. But before I do that, I just want to introduce it here for a little bit. As you can see, the text is is quite long, but I think it'll go quickly because it's a narrative. Well, we all have concerns about our future, don't we? Not just our own future, but the future of global affairs, the future of our neighbors. And these these concerns, they, they drive us to make certain commitments in the here and now with the hope of making some kind of impact on our future. So, for example, no matter what side of the political spectrum you may find yourself, you still wonder what country will be left or what kind of country will be left for the next generation or no matter where you may find yourself in the spectrum of pop culture, you may wonder, will there ever be a Star Wars trilogy as good as the first one? <laughs> These are important questions, very deep questions. <laughs> but each of us has a vision for our world. And so the commitments uh, that we make are in accord with this vision. And we make commitments to a certain ideology or institutions or to certain jobs, even certain relationships. And sometimes, uh, these, these visions influence the way that we may blog or the way that we shop or the way that we choose which school to attend or determine what is a sound investment for us to make. And then in the midst of these commitments, we may ask ourselves during certain times, do these commitments even matter? Or perhaps a deeper question is, do our lives even matter? Is this even significant? Why why am I committing to these things? Why do I even care? Why do I keep going? And particularly when there are sacrifices that are are included with these commitments, right? Make certain things and you have to give up other things in order to to follow through with those commitments. But will my commitments count? Will they actually make a difference? That can be a, a burning question in our hearts. Now, we don't ask these questions all the time. Because if we did, that'd be kind of depressing, right? If we asked that question every single day before we got up and did what we did, that, that, you know, we'd probably be Eeyore for the rest of our lives. But we do tend to ask these questions when things get tough. Or when we go through critical periods in our life. Such as when you're about, you're facing uh, leaving home for the first time. Or maybe graduating from college. Or maybe like myself, you're entering into your midlife years. Or maybe you're entering into your golden years. We can ask these questions. And it's during these times that we may be tempted to think that we're sort of left on our own to make the best out of what we have in this world and what we have in our lives. Just make the best out of whatever the universe has given to us. As they say, just play the hand that you dealt and kind of do the best that you can with that in order to make a difference on your own. Now, the Mosaic community... The people who came out with Moses after the the exodus, they were tempted to, to to think these same things, that they were left alone, that they simply had to move through their lives and try to make a difference on their own. But hope was given to them. Hope was given to them. These were people who were freed from slavery after many years, and now they find themselves in the wilderness without a land to call their own, here they are struggling in no man's land. And this whole legacy about Joseph and the glory days of Joseph and when he ruled over Egypt and when things were going well for them and for their ancestors, all that's long gone. And so here they are languishing in the wilderness and they're wondering, what kind of impact will we make in this world? What will we leave behind for our children if we're left out here with no land to call our own? And here's the other question. Has God abandoned us? Has he just left us? What are we to do? And as I said, there's hope. And that hope is here for us, I believe, in this text. So to get a full picture of that hope, let's go ahead and read this together. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father Jacob is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands It displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, "'Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. "'Put your right hand on his head.' But his father refused and said, "'I know, my son, I know. "'He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. "'Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, "'and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations.' So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites, with my sword, and with my bow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I said, this, the Mosaic community now, as they were hearing this story retold through Moses, we're wrestling with the question, has, has God abandoned us? As we're out here languishing in the wilderness with no land to call our own. And so Moses is saying through this, through this story about Joseph and his two sons, no, no, God has not abandoned you. In fact, you should know that God is here and that he cares about you and he cares about the impact that you will make in this world because of the assurances that he gives through his servant Jacob. What are those assurances and what do they have to do with you and me? There are some assurances here. We'll look at the assurance of a heritage, the assurance of adoption, and the assurance of a double portion. So first, God blesses Joseph and his sons with the assurance of a heritage. Now, we like hearing about other people's stories. It's great to hear testimonies of what people have done and the places where they've traveled. And if we don't get to hear it, we like to go on Instagram and see it for ourselves. And there's something about other people's stories that connects with us at times. And we feel like, oh, I can identify with what this person has just done, or what they've been through. And it helps us to know that we're not alone, right? As there's one quote that says, we read to know that we are not alone. And some of us have, we come away from that kind of experience, knowing that we've become uh, uh, deeply connected with something that's real, more real than something that, than anything we may have ever experienced in our lives. And so we want to know more, yeah, tell, tell me more of your stories, right? Tell me more. And let me get more of it. Then Joseph already knew about God's faithfulness. Joseph already knew that God was at work in the world and that God would care for him and that God would care for his children. But he also knew that his sons would one day, one day go through hardships, that they would one day go through trials. And they would have to learn how to lean on God for themselves. And how often we tend to forget that God is at work in the world and that he cares for us. And so we need the testimony of someone else to remind us of these truths. And that's a blessing when we have that testimony. It's a blessing when we have those witnesses. And it's a blessing to know that you've come from a line of people who have walked with the living God. In real space, in time, history. That's something that you can hold on to when the ground begins to shake underneath your feet. Right? And Jacob says to his son, he says to, he says to Joseph, he says, El Shaddai, God Almighty, met me at Luz. This is a real place. This really happened. I met with the Lord. He really spoke to me. He, he was there. He did something in my life. Know this. Know this today. If you're a Christian, the scriptures tell you, tell us, that we worship the God of Jacob. And so his testimony and the testimony of his ancestors belong to us. They are our heritage as well. Now, I'm not entirely sure about the history of your immediate families. I don't know what that looks like if you begin to do Ancestry.com on your immediate family. And you may have things that are in the closet that you don't want to come out. You may have some war heroes in your family, some small-town heroes. Or maybe the history of your family is mostly unknown. But I want you to realize this morning that your heritage is a lot deeper than you may realize. Your family has a testimony that goes all the way back to Jacob and even to Abraham, as we sang this morning. And thousands thousands of people after Jacob have testified to the goodness and the nearness of God. And much of it is written right here. It's given to us right here in the Bible. Now let me just say, um, this is sort of a sidebar. I realize that all of us here are not on the same, not in the same place in terms of faith and belief in this infinite and personal God. You may not even self-identify as a Christian. So you may not even be sure about the value of this kind of heritage, and whether you even want it for yourself. And after all, you may not be convinced about the reliability of the Hebrew scriptures as you read them, and as you hear it. But you should understand that, when, you know, look at some of the stuff that Moses does as you, as you read it, right? He reveals some of the dirt about this godly family. He reveals uh, some of the, the dirt about this man after whom his whole nation is named, Right? This man Israel, Jacob. And so we, we would barely do that in today's culture, even less in an ancient t- traditional culture, right? Sort of air out the dirty laundry of, of the people who came before us. Like, you know, some of us would, would think, <laughs> wouldn't even think twice about sharing those kinds of things. But maybe, maybe Moses is telling the truth. If he's willing to take the risk of shaming his own family, Maybe he's telling the truth. Just something to consider. But now our our uncles and our parents and our grandmothers may have testified to God's presence in their lives. And at times that's been a source of strength for some of us. But grandma's testimony doesn't necessarily prove anything. But it does make belief in a personal God somewhat plausible. We're not alone in the world. God has acted in real history, and that is part of our heritage. Thousands of testimonies have come about God's action in the world, not only through Jacob, but through many of other people. So secondly, God blesses Joseph and his sons through the assurance of adoption. Now, this adoption thing, you know, it it sounds kind of off, right, what happens here, because Joseph and his sons are pretty much part of the, se- the second wealthiest family and second most powerful family in the entire land of Egypt. So why do they need to be adopted? Why is this even a, a blessing? Why do they need to be adopted by this, this man from you know, the backwoods, even if he is their-, their grandfather? Well, I can explain that. Or rather, let me let the text explain that. If you look again at, verses- at verse 13. It says that Joseph took them both, Ephraim and Manasseh. He put Ephraim in his, his right hand toward Israel's left hand. And Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. But then catch this. What does Israel do? He stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger. And his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands for Manasseh, was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph. Now, what's going on there? I mean, it's no secret that the birthright belonged to the firstborn, right, in this culture. So, you know, by all, by all means, it was supposed to be Manasseh who would get these things, who would get the blessing of the firstborn. So this was a scandalous move by Jacob. And so he, he crisscrosses his hands, and he makes, he makes Joseph jump a little bit, right, uh, you know, after he does this. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like... You know, Daddy is, is is schooling Joseph on the way that God operates in the world. He's schooling him on what He does, and, he, and he, I love verse nineteen when He kind of, you know, he, it's kind of kind of patronizing a little bit. You could kind of picture Jacob um, patting Joseph on the head, like, "I know my son. I know. Come on, you know, you, you, you don't get it, but it's okay. It's okay." <laughs> and then, you know, it's so. But this is the way that God operates. God, it was God who chose. Isaac, Jacob's father, over Ishmael. It was God who confirmed Jacob himself over Esau. It was God who chose Joseph over Reuben, the oldest of the sons. And now Ephraim over Manasseh. See, in God's economy, all advantages are not given to the strong. All advantages are not given to the ones who check off all the boxes in society. The brighter future is not always given to those who do everything right. And we may feel alone because we haven't had certain opportunities. Or we may feel alone because we don't have certain marketable skills or certain beauty. But God is in the world, turning our ways upside down. And he exalts those who are not firstborn. but he exalts the weak. He exalts the disenfranchised. And he makes them sons. And he blesses them. This is another little, well, this isn't really a sidebar. I think this is important. There's a whole lot of talk in the Hebrew Scriptures about sons. And maybe as you have read over this text and you, you think about it, it's like, oh, you know, sons, sons, sons. So it, doesn't the Bible also talk about children of God? Doesn't it also talk about sons and daughters? Why is this, this emphasis about sons? What's really going on here? Right. So it, it's not like Israel... Has, is, is now making his, his, grand, his grandsons into bigger men. He's not increasing their masculinity in some way by making them sons. But no, he's changing their status. They're not just grandsons anymore. They have become sons. And this is good news for many of us. Because whether you are a woman or someone who has never known their own father, you gain the inheritance and the acceptance of the firstborn. That's good news for somebody this morning. Now, all, all the privileges that, that could not be earned by these grandsons were given to them simply through the blessing of their grandfather, simply through the love that Jacob had for them. Right? And these, these are the strange cousins. These are the ones who were brought up in Egypt. Right? And we're just a little bit different from the rest of their family. Right? These are, the family. But now these grandsons have been made equal to the uncles by the will of Jacob. How scandalous is that? And so, you know, maybe you're, you're sitting here this morning and you may be thinking, I may not have had what it takes to achieve the American dream all of my life. But know that no one can have a part in God's inheritance except by his will. But he gives that to us by grace. It is his will of grace that is at work adopting those who are humble and bow down before him. His grace. So we're not alone. No matter how bleak or disappointing that our lives may be, we are God's sons, and he intends to bless us. And then along with the, with the heritage of God's witnesses, that's something that you and I can hold on to in the wilderness of life. Not just the testimonies, but the fact that we belong to God as his sons. But there's more here. God blesses Joseph and his sons, With the assurance of a double portion. Let me read over some of these verses again. Verse 9 Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Then in verse 20, he says, So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God made you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And in verse 22, he says, Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Now, this is a wonderfully tender moment here. As you put yourself into this story, see what is happening here to the hearts of the people who are involved, the characters in this story. Because yes, Joseph had a dream when he was a teenager. He had a vision that God had given to him. But yet, as, as we know, if we're familiar with the story of Joseph, in many years of his life, he became estranged from his family, left out of their daily workings. He even began to speak a little funny because of the time that he spent in Egypt. And maybe you have been displaced from your own family, whether it's through your education Right? You just find yourself that's a little bit different from the rest of your family because of the schools that you've gone to, or the circles that you've been a part of, or simply because you moved away. And because of this distance between yourself and your family of origin, you may begin to think what well, Joseph, in, the, in having these feelings, he began to think who, who am I? Am I still my, my father's beloved? Right? And now I see him again, but am I, am I still his beloved? Am I still his Joseph? And Jacob says, yes, Joseph, you are mine. God will be with you, and you're going to receive double. Now, and you find in the scriptures that this little mention of Joseph, right, as you start going through the, the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, even as you go into the New Testament, this little mention of, well, I should say, this little mention of the tribe of Joseph, but in fact which you hear about on the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh two tribes for Joseph Joseph is standing before his father and he says I have my own children now daddy and we're about to lose you you're about to be gone do I have what it takes and Jacob says God will be with you you receive double well, here it's not, understand that it's not just about receiving a double portion. It's about abundance. So more than just twice the amount, but oh, something that is overflowing. Friends, understand that the, that the disciples during Jesus' time, the ones who followed him, they too made sacrifices that they, as they committed to follow him. They gave up family and home and comfort and security. And they wanted to be with him. Just as Joseph was with Jacob. And there came a time when Jesus was about to leave his own disciples. And they became sorrowful. And Jesus said to them tenderly, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he also says, I would not leave you as orphans. He talks about sending the Holy Spirit. So there is a double portion, and for those who are following Christ, we have, there's this new heavens and new earth that Jesus has gone to prepare. Yes, but there's also the Spirit of God himself that Jesus sends and leaves behind in his absence. Those who follow Christ have a double portion. And we may be going through life thinking, or maybe we're in a moment or about to go through a moment in which we thought we had life all figured out. I thought I had all my plans straight. But then life has become unsettled by change. Some promotion at my job or some promotion that I didn't get. Our children graduate. Or you yourself graduate from somewhere. Or you, now you find yourself taking care of a parent who's aging. Your life has changed. You're trying to make a difference in this world. And you're not who you used to be. You can't count on the old ways. And yet, there's still a long way to go, in making a difference in this world. And in the midst of that, do you even know that you've had setbacks in life? Your health has changed. There are regrets that you have. Heaven, can you hear me? God, am I still your beloved? Do I still belong to you? Through Jesus, we hear from the Lord, yes, 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 you'll be okay. The future is in my hands, and I will be with you. And it's not only this this promise of, of God's future that we have before us and that's been given to us, but we also have right here in the present the abiding, holy presence of God himself. So we're not alone. We're not left alone in this world to leave a rich legacy behind for others. We've been given a heritage, and we've been adopted by grace, and we've been granted a double portion. Why? Why are we given these things? Why has God been so rich toward us? Why would he do such a thing? Well, I mean, the Sunday school answer, of course, is love. All right, we get that. All of us can answer that. But what kind of love? What kind of love would motivate God to do this thing? Well, the, the kind of love that, that Jacob showed when he served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him just a few days, the scripture says, because of the love that he had for her. And then even as he was tr- even though he was tricked by his father-in-law, he served another seven years, and he finally had her. But then she died after the birth of Benjamin. He only had two sons, two sons from the woman that he loved, Benjamin and Joseph. And he th- at one point in history, he thought his oldest one was dead. He thought Joseph was gone. So when he saw Joseph alive, it was like receiving his wife again. He could probably see Rachel's eyes in the face of Joseph. And it's because of his love for Rachel that Ephraim and Manasseh get Jacob's blessing. In the same way, God has made us after his own image because he loves us. We who are lost to sin and to death and to condemnation. Because we chose to love ourselves and God's world in our own way. But you and I, Jacob and Joseph, Peter and Paul were as good as dead. But God sees his glory in our eyes. And he's not content to leave us to chance and darkness. But Jacob's greater son becomes the firstborn for us. The son of God, Jesus, became man. He became the firstborn among many brothers, having preeminence over all mankind. But instead of being blessed at the knee of his father, he was pushed away and cursed at the cross. And he gave away his birthright so that we, like Ephraim, the true weaker brothers, could get the blessing. God couldn't wait to call you son again. You have to get that down into your soul. God couldn't wait to call you son again. Our story is a tale of two sons. It is about Jesus Christ and the brother who was lost, but now is found. Though our world may feel like a vacuum, though it feels like the foundations may crumble, though its rich future seems threatened, the glory of God's love still fills it because Christ has secured it. The more you let that deep into your heart, the more you can sing, let that songwriter carry Job, who said, in the midst of deep sorrow, I see your light is breaking through. The dark of night will not overtake me. I am pressing into you. Lord, you fight my every battle and I will not fear. You amaze me. You redeem me. You call me as your own. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. Now, I sort of, I have to admit, I, I sort, kind of did a trick here. Because you may have thought, like, from the beginning of the sermon, it was based on the introduction, that I was going to give, like, three steps to making your life more significant. Right? Sort of like five ways to make your life count. You know, here they are. Right? And strategy does count. Strategy counts in life. Outcomes matter. In fact, large portions of the Bible are wisdom literature, right? But as I've struggled through my own midlife crises, under the light of the shadow of the cross, I've learned this, that what makes our lives significant is not what we do, but who we are, or rather, whose we are. That is what makes our lives significant. We are first Sons of the King, pursuing change in this world because it's just what true sons do until Jesus returns. Lean into the assurances that are given to you as an heir of salvation, and you can be free to not let the setbacks or the failures or the disappointments or upheavals of life de- devastate you. Lean into the assurances given to you as an heir of salvation so that you will not be caused to escape into pornography or alcohol or work and withdraw from the people and the places that you have been called to care for. Seek to know your father. Seek to know him through prayer and Bible meditation. Let him guide you. And look around. Look around this room. You have a new family. You have people that you can lean on, get to know them and collaborate with your with your new family collaborate with them in works that will bless our neighbors around us for just as god was with jacob and joseph so he will be with you through jesus christ because you are his son and he will do this even until the very end of the age amen Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that we can call you, Father, that you have brought us into your family. You have rescued us, not only calling us servants, but friend and son, my own, my beloved. God, we sometimes struggle To take hold of this assurance that you have given to us. Would you forgive us for the ways in which we have cast it aside. And have looked to other things to fill us. And to give us assurance in the the midst of swift transitions in this world. As we've tried to make a difference here. We have been concerned about leaving behind a legacy. About making our lives count. We thank you God that our lives count. Because you count us as one of your beloved. Thank you, Holy Father. Bless us now as we continue to worship you in this service. In Christ's name, amen.